Reader Mail. Number 12. Hello and welcome to Triangle Squared, a Reader Mail podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, Mr. Saul Bridges, bringing you guys Lucky Reader Mail 12. For those that don't know, this is our extra segment of the Triangle Squared podcast. A little bit more adult-friendly than, of course, our normal professional selves, at least on Triangle Squared. If you really want to see us let loose, go check out our new podcast, Dickish at Best. But we ask you guys to ask us questions on Twitter, Facebook, Patreon, YouTube. Even though it's technically not included anymore, feel free to do so if you want. And Discord. <laughs> it's and, not included, but do it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, in Discord. So that way, we uh, every two weeks, we answer your guys' questions on Reader Mail, all of them, for, as of now. And uh, you can hear our answers here on this episode today. We start on Facebook, go to Twitter, and then finish off with Discord. And don't forget to check out our normal episodes of Triangle Squared every Monday at 10 a.m. PST, noon Central Time, for those that are interested in some more PlayStation Podcast goodness. Brett, there take us go. off on Facebook. All right, starting this thing off right, we have a series of questions from uh, Mr. Vincent Hull. Are they lightning questions? Um, Not necessarily, but okay. you know what? Some of them can kind of be moved through quickly because we've inadvertently discussed them, so that works out. Okay. Uh, these were posted, th these questions were before E3, and I think we ended, ended up talking about some of them at E3 or with our E3 coverage. I wish we went to E3, but, eh, you know, is what it is. Let's see. Mr. Vincent Hull says, thoughts on the upcoming game, Cyberpunk 2077. If you go back and watch uh, the episode we just released this week, so that's uh, Triangle Squared episode 116. It's our E3 recap as well as us discussing whether we thought it was smart or not for Sony to, uh, to skip out and whether anyone else should. But in that, we actually talked about Cyberpunk uh, a little bit, but I'll expound a little bit more. I have been excited for Cyberpunk since the initial little teaser picture that showed the you know the female with the extended arms with like the spikes going out uh just because i thought it was a really cool looking thing i'd actually never heard of the cyberpunk board game uh that it was based around or the world it was based around so of course i just see this thing with mech or you know not even mechs but like you know uh augmented humans i guess is the best way to call it and i thought okay that's cool i like that some of the same imagery that made me think i would like deus ex even though that was apparently not true um so anyway when going through that i mean the more they've shown at it every time, and on top of the fact that it is from the developer who made The Witcher 3, which I do think is one of the best games of this generation, uh, I'm incredibly excited, and every time they show something else, I get more and more excited. All the way down to smart decisions, I think. Even though the game's in first person, and I think that's a point of contention for some people who really love The Witcher, and it being a third-person traditional uh, you know, Western RPG, um, where this one's going towards a first-person shooter. I think it's a throw-off for a little bit of people, but I think they've made smart concessions in some areas where, like, driving, you can switch between first and third person, and I think that that's a huge yeah. plus. Uh, but, yeah, I'm incredibly excited. I pre-ordered the Collector's Edition. Uh, I want to see them. Uh, I want to see what they're going to do with this, and uh, I appreciate the idea so far that they've been showing, and I like the idea of a, of a dystopian future where it's all about the body no longer being sacred and instead being something that people just toy around with. It's something that I really liked that they did mess around with a little bit. And um, um, if you've watched Netflix's uh, adaptation of Carbon, um, Lord, what is it called? How am I skipping out on this? Altered Carbon. I always do that. Have to start looking up. Uh, Altered Carbon does that a lot too. There's a thing where they have people 
that don't want to participate in the thing and they have their chips codified as a, it was either, I think it was neo-Catholic is what it was. So they considered their bodies to be sacred. And when they passed, they didn't want their uh, little disc thing that holds their identity to be put in a new sleeve. Uh, and I thought that was a cool thing to talk about in a world that has gone so devolved from what we're used to today that people are so willing to just be like, oh, I died, doesn't matter what my body was because I am more than my body, which is a weird sentence because it gives you a disregard for your body. So I'm curious to see how the game explores those themes, and I am excited for one. So that's me. Yeah, that's it's one of my most anticipated games coming out in the next couple of years now that we got a good solid release date, and I am very, very excited and uh, very curious to see how it's going to play out. As not a huge fan of The Witcher, I think that I'm going to really love this game because the nature of the game, the style of the game, and I really love futurism-style stuff like this, so it's way, it's going to get way easier for me to get into than The Witcher 3 was. So For you, what do you think it is about the in terms of it? When you meant style, just my own curiosity clarification. When you mean style, do you specifically just mean the futuristic setting, the or do you specifically style. mean the first person? Game the cyberpunk too? style. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. The the way neon lights, cool looking. Oh, the city dirty looks robotics. Dope. <laughs> yeah. The very dirty soundtrack is great. Yeah. Very synth heavy. All right. Next one up from Vince is what character or person would you like to see as a Funko Pop? I don't really like Funko Pop, so I don't really have an answer. <laughs> yeah, I know you didn't. Obviously, I do, or I have in the past, and I'm, I still like them. But honestly, in my effort to not be so foolish with my money, I've actually really called down on buying them. I haven't bought them in a long time. If I was going to answer one for a long time when I was collecting every single one of the Kingdom Hearts ones, one of the ones I wanted to see was Sora and Lion Form, but we've got that now with the E3 one. And even though I didn't buy it because I'm trying to save my money again with all the remodeling and stuff I'm doing, I do think that, that one's an awesome one. And since this was asked, this that would have been my answer if I would have answered this immediately when you asked it. But now that we're two weeks in uh, to the future, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. So see, that yeah, would be definitely be one of them. But I Bahamut would be cool. I, honestly, I'm a little surprised. I think they have, because I think you could get Smaug. I said Bahamut. Oh, Bahamut. I thought you said the Hobbit. I was like, no. wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've talked about Final Fantasy ones before. Uh, so do you specifically mean from Final Fantasy? Yeah, I knew that shouldn't have been typed into Google like that. But yeah. No, they don't have any Final Fantasy ones. There's a Final Fantasy. Oh, yeah, there is a Final Fantasy trading card game. Yes, there is. Uh, next question up. He asks, what do you consider to be your secret talent or superpower? Ooh, that's a question. My secret talent, while Saul stews on his, uh, and it's actually a little bit of a double-edged sword, I am very quick at picking up on almost anything, but because of that, I feel like I have a really hard time mastering anything. I could see that. I think my superpower is my metabolism. <laughs> that's true. There was the longest running joke in the world that Saw had a. Um, I tapeworm. still I still believe it that Saw had a tapeworm. Uh, he's put on a little bit of weight though, so it's not I've as bad. I lost that weight. You I'm put not... yeah, but you put it on, so you proved to me that it wasn't a tapeworm. But then you lost it because you quit well, the drinking. tapeworm just woke up. <laughs> That's all it was. It hibernated. It was like okay, I'm full with all the Wendy's and the. I swear, you just have to know. You have to go to Wendy's with this man and realize that he'll get uh, a Dave's double. Not anymore. Okay, but I I'm eat talking more about now. But back then, I would eat a Dave's double of large fries, and I'd still be hungry. And, and then you go like back frosty. up and be like, "I'm gonna get a frosty." Yeah. Then you'd still be hungry like an hour later. And be like, "I want to go Burger King." Yeah, I was just like, it's ridiculous. It was. It was incredible. Um, I have never seen a bottomless pit of food, but honestly, I used to think 
like, why is Saul not going to food eating competitions? Because you could have murdered them. And I mean, like, even outside of that, going to the place, it's like, eat this whole steak and you get it for free. I, if I pace myself, actually, that'd be pretty fun to just try. But I don't think anybody around here does that anymore. I still think you still. I still think you could. You know what I mean? Possibly, yeah. yeah. I don't know about around here, but there's definitely places that do that. I don't know what it is about humans that like to see people gorge themselves, but oh, that's, that's what we do. Okay, let's see. Favorite emoji. I don't like emojis that much unless I'm using them like unironically. Unironically? I mean, ironically. But say because I use them. I okay. I started off using them incredibly ironically. And then I got to the point where a lot of the times when I just wanted to be like, okay, yeah, I understand, got it, I would just do the well, it's almost okay re- thing, yeah, it's and- a- almost replaced like LOL. You know, you, people don't signify LOL anymore as they're laughing; they signify that they're in a good mood. So it's kind of like I will use them now for that. I kind of get what you mean with that. Or unless I'm talking about my kitty, then there's all kinds of emojis in there. Yeah, I don't know. Emojis are weird. I've never dived into them. I'm sure that there is one that exists that if I probably would have looked, it would actually be really funny. But I mean, oh, there's a lot of them. <laughs> I just don't pay enough attention to them. Uh, what one thing, toy, food, drink, show, etc. Boy, that's a range from the 90s. Do you wish would make a comeback? Um, in terms of really, really strong relevance, actually, Saul and I had a uh, discussion the other day at my birthday party. Uh, it was Beyblade, I think, is where I yeah. land on it because a lot of stuff is still very relevant. I think Bay- Yu-Gi-Oh is as relevant as it ever was. Pokemon. What, what year did Duel Masters come out? 99? Is that right? I think so. Maybe early 2000s. Duel Masters was pretty cool. If Duel Masters fits in the, two, in the 90s, I'm going to say Duel Masters for sure because Beyblades are still around. Duel Master cards are not. Because Duel Masters was essentially the precursor to Magic the Gathering for me in a weird way. Because it's played the same where you tap. and um, It's just a great card game. I just really, really wish. And then what was it called that came, that made a comeback? Like, it was itself but rebooted. It, it made a, they made a new card game that was replacing... Uh, it just came out like four or five years ago, maybe. And it, maybe a oh, little bit longer. Oh, you uh, Card Fight Vanguard? No. That was good, though. That game was awesome. That game was good. You but, were right, though. Duel, Duel Masters made like a, a, a sequel. Is that yeah, what you call it like to, to what it is? Uh, and see, the, it gets hard to look this stuff up because, of course, Duel Masters started off as a, as a manga. So it gets kind of interesting to figure out. Kajito. Is that what it was called? Kajito? Yeah. I think so. Uh, that sounds familiar. Yeah. When did this come yes, out? Yes, Kaijudo. That's what it was. Kaijudo, that's what it is. Yes, yeah, Kaijudo Ka- Showdown. Uh, yeah, weird times, man. The 90s had so much stuff that was iconic, though, if I'm being real. Probably this came out in 2004. But Beyblades... This game did, at least. Oh, wow. Beyblades, though, for me, are one of those weird things that because of the fact that they were just so easy for everyone to understand, they were almost more universal than Pokemon cards because Pokemon cards had a level of universality to them where almost everybody wanted them, but very few kids actually understood how to play the Pokemon game. The card game, it happened with Yu-Gi-Oh as well. You'd get the cards because they look cool and the show was cool, but a lot of the times, most of the kids wouldn't actually understand dueling to an adequate level um, unless you're around a certain group of people who just really got obsessed with it. But oh. the thing that made, made Beyblade so fun is you'd go to school, uh, and definitely me in the in the fourth and going into the fifth grade, our school had these big basin, uh, completely like bowl-shaped um, 
sinks with little bitty drain holes in them. So we would use them as makeshift Beyblade arenas. And we'd bring our Beyblades to school and rip them out in the bathroom and battle them out. And we'd do uh, fun stuff like... One of my favorite things about Beyblade was when you would do essentially the the equivalent of a pink slip duel for your Beyblade. So you'd get there, you'd get people's bit chips, and that was fun because you could like slap a dragoon bit chip into your Dronzer and be like, "I got your bit chip." It, it was just fun. You Apparently, know? you can Showboat still buy game. brand new Duel Masters decks on eBay for like ten bucks, brand new. Boy. I wonder how much. I wonder what it would be like now. So removed from it, I've not played Duel Masters since probably two thousand three. I wish Cardfight Vanguard became the next thing. Like, and Cardfight it just Vanguard did not, but it was incredibly fun. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's it. that's it for me. I think that one's really good. Yeah, me too. How would you take over the world, Saul? I'm too lazy for that. Uh, uh, cocaine and food. No, I'm kidding. That's that would be terrible. Um, I don't know. But if we're talking about effective, you know what I mean? It's like to some extent, if you can control how the what people want to put in their body, you can kind of get them to do anything, right? So isn't that? I mean, isn't that the idea behind? Um, yeah, I guess subversive so. taking over of the world. Do it in a way that's almost inadvertent, not something that's just beat you over the head to have to do with sheer force, but instead something you can do slowly over time. Uh, I mean, you know, FDA and stuff like that would make it really hard to get away with, but you might be able to squeeze it by. I don't really know how I would. Trust me, if I figure it out, you'd know. <laughs> You'll know when I'm pressing my <laughs> boot to your neck. <laughs> yeah. You all uh, know. Okay. He asked, who would win, Jackie Chan or Jet Li? Please Jackie Chan. provide your reasoning. No, Jackie Chan. Jet Li. No. You want to know why? Why? Jet Li killed every other version of himself across millions and multiples of universes. I think that Jackie Chan actually is more... Uh, is more um, has more studied martial arts than Jet Li. I, I don't even that, care. Though. I'm talking specifically about the one, which is one of the greatest movies no, it is. ever made. I love it so much. Uh, is that but, the, is that? Well, hold on. Let me. Let me make sure. Because there's multiple Jet Li movies that were really great. Well, is this the Jet Li movie with the mirrors? No, no. This is the one. Well, well, what do you mean by mirrors? I remember a mirror room in one of them. Okay, I don't think that that's what you're talking about. Uh, but the one is the one. It's essentially where he goes through and. There are multiple there there are multiple universes or a multiverse essentially where there are a bunch of different versions of the same people in all these universes. So what happens is your life energy is shared across all of these versions of yourself, and that's how what kind of keeps an equilibrium of everybody. But as you continue to kind of kill off or as people start to die, the rest of that energy that was in them gets spread evenly across the people. So the idea is that the more and more you kill those people, the energy gets more evenly distributed yeah. across those okay. two. I remember so that the one. final thing comes down to being only two versions of Jet Li's character left and they have to fight each other. And it's got some of the classic moments in there, like which one is the real one and all that stuff. Uh, but it, it's done so well. And I also just think it's a really ball in premise. So. And for some reason, I thought they had already fought before, but it was Bruce Lee. So it wasn't Jackie Chan and Jet Li. It was Bruce Lee. So that's interesting. Yeah, because Jet Li is, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, he's, he's in quite all the, a bit. He's in all the IP, movie, uh, IP movies, isn't he? IP Man? No, I thought, oh, well, actually, he might be. I don't think so. I thought IP Man was that other. Um, I've never watched other any of those. Or Ip Man? I know. I, I think it's called IP Man. Um, I, no, I've heard people actually pronounce it. Boy, there's it out so loud. many of them that were good. Fearless was good. The one was good. Uh, Unleashed was 
cool as hell. <laughs> but these are movies I've watched so long I'm not, ago. I'm not a fan of Jet Li. Like, I've never seen him in anything. How old is Jet Li? He's 56 50 years old. Sure. Yeah. And let's see, how old is Jackie Chan? Because that's going to play a part in it, 60 too. 60 or 70? No. He's... 65. Okay, yeah. Uh, I'm going to give Jet Li the benefit of just being a little bit younger. Because um, I remember a couple of years ago, on top of it was, it, it came out that, um, uh, was it? No, maybe not. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. No, I'm thinking about something else. Never mind. Okay. Well, there you go. I think that Jet Li is the person for me, but Saul seems set on. You know who won't win? Who? Brandon Lee. <laughs> oh, ouch. Still waiting on that Crow remake that will be terrible. Ouch. I love Crow. I, wait, what did I say? You Crow said the, the Crow remake. Okay, I thought I said Crow Man. <laughs> I'm like, wait a second. No, the, Crow, <laughs> the, the original Crow was great. Oh, great movie. All I'm the not, sequels are hit or miss. They're very missed. And it sucks because it's another one of those examples of movies being over-sequelized for no real reason. Exactly. But, you know, things happen. Last question on this little set, and then we'll go up to the next one. This is from Vincent. What game has given you the best immersive experience? Now, that's a question. Skyrim. If I had to say, and this is kind of a weird answer, uh, I would say because of the way that the medium works on top of the thing, my answer is Skyrim, but it's Skyrim VR. VR, yeah. Uh, and I think Skyrim VR is one of, and it's it's very closely followed by Firewall Zero Hour and Resident Evil 7. All of them are VR because that really changed the game on what immersion really is because VR is actually immersive. It's you putting yourself into a world and what you do nine times, at least in our current state, a lot of what you could do gets re-represented in the game. And there is nothing more immersive than that. Um, and it's true immersion. So in that sense, I think it's going to be a lot of VR titles, uh, but it's those exactly because they feel you get a sense of really being there because of it. Yeah. And, um, well, I will say the mods did it for me on Xbox. Like I already, like whenever I was, Played it the first time. It was great. Well, you played with a survival mod, correct? I played with a survival mod, a start your new life mod, a total Tamriel darkness or whatever it's called, like where it's really actually really dark and yeah. you have to have a torch. Uh, lanterns where they actually scattered realistic looking lanterns about the, the, the area of the world where it actually made sense where they would be to kind of help you, guide you through that dark. Stuff like that. Okay. And it made it really immersive. I can see that. Just... As, uh... And immersive in the sense of stuff like the, the, the mods gave you a, a a higher level of control than the Elder Scrolls games already do. Yeah, and then I, I did stuff like turn the HUD off, and then I turn I got a mod that was no kill cam because mm. that was I hate kill cam when you're using a bow and arrow because it's like every five arrows there's a kill cam. Mm -hmm. I want to give a special shout out and and do a game that's not quite uh, VR related just so I can have an answer that's not tied into a peripheral that not a lot of people have. I, I think very recently I want to say Hellblade and the yeah, biggest reason one. for Hellblade was smart use of no HUD. I think that was a really great choice the for the way they design. were going through, but the sound design. It is one of the few games outside of actually Vince is the one who told me to do this and my recent playthrough of uh, A Plague Tale, uh, Innocence, it was another great example of people using sound design to really great effect, uh, but it plays such a big part in the way that I think that you literally have to play uh, Hellblade that I don't. I think you can do it without headphones, but you're doing yourself a massive disservice because it really sells the idea of transferring the. Are you living the the life of somebody who's having a mental? issue breakdown whatever it is mental illness uh, and kind of getting audio cues and stuff like that that make you even doubt yourself in the moments it's it's really cool i liked it a lot so yeah. shout out to them uh that's definitely it gotta play that game with a headset 
I definitely agree. One of the few games that I really have the idea in my mind of like, if you're not playing with a headset, you're doing it incredibly wrong. I've even seen people who have not played the game and watched it on YouTube and ended up loving it, go back and play the game just so they can experience it with a headset. And once I told them to do that and they did it, they came back and were amazed by how much different the experience was. And that's exactly what you want. But here we are. We have another question. Next one up is from Mr. Josh Shoop. He asks, not a question so much as a challenge. Create the ultimate super group in your personal opinion. Music, of course. Of course, this comes with a challenge. You can put as many people as you want in your band. That's interesting. However, they cannot be people that are already in the same band. Minimum requirement is at least one guitar player, one bass player, one drummer, and one vocalist. You can have whatever instruments you want after that minimum requirement. After you have put together your band what kind of music will they play it cannot be the style that predominant members are known for which is really hard no uh, yeah i can't do this i, <laughs> I can't do this in a question of reader mail that's impossible there's no way I can he does this have an example less than 30 minutes if you have three guys that are in a rock band and one guy that's from country music you cannot have them playing rock music but country would be fine well so if you want to use one person that you want to linchpin the style onto you can <sighs> You know what I mean? So yeah, it's not that you have to completely avoid Everything's them. from the same genre, pretty much. I mean, in All a way. pop punk. No, music Metal wouldn't court. be in pop punk. Okay. But not Matt. That's a lead singer. What's the um, basis from Muse? I do not know. Um, Chris. Okay. Because Matt is the lead singer, I'm pretty sure. Let me double check that. Yeah, Matt Bellamy. Bellamy. But, uh, yeah, if I had to answer this. Okay, let's see. I'm going to do Chris, the bassist from Muse. I'm okay. going to do Tillian, the lead singer of Dance Gavin Dance. Yeah. I'm going to do... Can I have two bassists? Can I have Getty Lee as a bassist too? <laughs> if you want to, go for it. I'm going to have Getty Lee as another bassist. He said you can have as many instruments as you want after that. I'm going to have... Hmm... Who do I want my drummer to be? Hmm. I'm going through this myself right now. I'm, I'm trying, trying to, to do it kind of quickly because I know if I put too much thought into it, I'm going to take way too long to answer this question. Oh, I know. I get you, man. Trust me. I get you. Um, Let's see. Who's my lead guitarist, actually? Okay. Well, I'll do uh, Will Swan. Okay. From Nancy Evidence. Yeah. Uh, you know what? You actually have a pretty good mix of genres right now. Yeah. So you can lean on one pretty easily, actually. And honestly, well, your cheat answer would go with Will Swan style because he has genre bending, so you can just cover a lot of genres at well, once. Well, yeah. He could, be, he could be jazz if I wanted to. <clears throat> yeah. Um, what is Muse really considered? Ah, it's hard, right? And and the bigger question of this is that we're going to have to take a couple of liberties. Alternate rock uh, slash world progressive rock. We're going to have to take a couple of liberties here, Josh, because one of the things that gets weird in music is subgenres. Uh, and how much those subgenres really matter. Well, no, I'm, I'm just going to go a complete different subgenre, too. Oh, so, yeah. So all but, these people. You know, he, his example was overarching genres. Like no, this is not going to be rock people. This is going to be a country band. <laughs> Hold on. Will Swan in the country band? Yeah. Can you imagine? I can't actually. <laughs> it's the problem. Um, screw up a dead mouse note with a drum machine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Let me make sure that I have my list working up right. The last thing I'm trying to really figure out is drummer, and it's killing me. I would just go with. Uh, I know his name's not Kellen, but that's all I think his name is. Drummer from Slipknot. I can't even remember his name. Joey Jordison is the Joey. original. And then Jay. No, no, no. Jay Wine. Is it Jay? 
Jay Weinberg, I'm pretty sure, is his last name. Yes. He is the drummer for Slipknot right now. And yeah. he's uh, Bruce Springsteen's son? Or No, e- no, hold on. Either one Don't let them. me lie about it being Bruce Springsteen. Oh, sorry, that he's me. the son of American drummer Max Weinberg, and Max Weinberg is the drummer known for playing for Bruce Springsteen. Oh, okay. I knew that there was a, a tie-in there. So, yeah, um, this is going to be a country <clears throat> band, and I'm going to have two, two bassists and a country band. <laughs> This is a great question just because of how crazy it's going to be. And then I'll have Here's a the thing. Drum machine. I'm trying to think of a drummer for me. Dang, Tillian doesn't really fit vocals for a country band, but that's fine. That's going to be outside of the, the rest of this. I actually feel like I've got a really odd genre mix in terms of what I have built up so far. But the one thing I need to finish. Is Sonny Moore in yours? Huh? Sonny Moore in yours? No. Oh, okay. Uh, even though. Wait, no. You like from first to last? Yeah, I like from first to last, but I like. Everything that from first to the last did with Spencer infinitely better. The remakes of the songs from the Sunny era that Spencer did Was on the make, new album make were war. freaking amazing. Not make war. Make war was their first song back with Sonny Moore. Uh, so it was oh. Ride the Wings of Pestilence and Note to Self. Note uh, they, to Self is on Theta. That's their most famous song. Yeah, but dude, the the version with Spencer singing it is loads better. Sp- Spencer from better. Periphery? Spencer, yeah. Is Sonny Moore in there? Nope. No, have, the whole album "Dead Trees" is with Spencer from. I might have to go vocals. listen to that. Then it's amazing because I, I do love not it like. So much. I did not like Sonny Moore as a singer. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's okay. He's not bad. I, yeah, I, I do like have him. a soft spot for uh, "Dear Diary," my teenage bullshit as a body count, or whatever. My teen angst, I think, is actually the name of the album, but uh, I like that album, <laughs> even if it's just because of age. Um, you know what? I'm gonna throw me. I know who my drummer is gonna be in this, and it's gonna be really weird, but I'm okay with it. Okay, here's mine. The guitar player, I don't think anybody's going to know this one, uh, is going to be Keaton Goldwire. He's a guitar player for a band that does... No, but even though Don Bronco is actually a great, great use in this. I wish I would have thought of that, but I'm not going to use them now. Uh, So Keaton Goldwire, he's a guitar player for a band called Invent Anime, and they are, for lack of a better term, I'm, I'm literally on their Wikipedia page because they're essentially metalcore, but they've got this thing that, that a lot of metalcore bands I don't feel like encapsulate very well, which is this incredible, and I mean incredible, ability to create a sense of atmosphere in their music Ooh. that's almost insane. Yeah, they're on a, um, a <clears throat> tour with, um, or they were with Northlane. I'm sad. Their vocalist left, and I love him. I want um, to look into them. But they're great. I love them a lot. Um, so what kind of what kind of music are you doing? Or what, go ahead and hold on. Your whole I got I got to keep going, and I got to look up this dude's name because it's just that it's Swedish, and I always forget it. Ah, going with Pee Oh <laughs> uh, yes, yes, that's exactly it. Okay, um, here we are. My vocals, and I had to really choose between these two. Um, I had a different setup at first. <laughs> my setup for a little bit was going to be Mike Semesky, who was the guy who did... I was say, Mike Sinatra. No, Mike Semesky, he's the guy who did the vocals on the One Intervals album that has vocals, The Voice Within, uh, aptly named album. Yeah, that's uh, a fantastic album. Dude, I love... That's the his, only album I like. I love his vocals. He's got this really, really rich 
mid-tone, and he doesn't have a crazy range outside of that, but it's so rare that you get such a great mid-tone in that situation, and it's part of why I really liked the last record, not the newest one coming up, but the last record from Hands Like Houses. He really utilized his voice in the mid-range a lot, and it Wait, what do you mean? Is he the lead singer Hands Like Houses? No. Okay. No, no, but I'm saying a different band that also uses... Hold on. A different band that also uses mid-range vocals to a great, great deal of extent. So, But I'm going to rescind that. It was going to be Mike Semesky doing clean vocals with Mike Shinoda rapping. I was going to say, what about Mike Shinoda? And it was going to be funny because they're both named Mike. Uh, so the band was going to be called Mike Prison and Mike. Prison Mike? Oh. <laughs> Uh, Mike and Mike, but the second Mike would be a little M, so it looked like it was Mike and Ike. Yeah. But, you know. Um, Have them all wear the same color. Bring in Ike green. Turner, and then you can make Mike and Ike. No. no. Uh, but anyway, I'm going to pull back from that, even though that would have been really fun. Uh, and I'm going to pull in for vocals. There's a, a band called Catatonia, who I fucking love. They're so good. Uh, and Sorry if you they're about, the Swedish people. Mike. And the, the singer's name is Jonas Rent. Rinksy? Rinks? I, I literally don't know how to say it. I've seen his name a million times, but Jonas, he's amazing and I love him. Uh, one of the greatest albums of all time is Catatonia's. It's a great cold distance. Go check it out if you like this style of music at all. They're essentially metal. I wouldn't even call them metalcore. I mean, they're, yeah, metal band is what they're classified as. Um, so then we're going to go over and add a little back end. Since we've already got a little bit of atmosphere on the guitar from Invent Animate, I want to couple the heavy atmosphere that you get from like a metalcore slash, I don't even know what subgenre you start going into with that atmosphere. You no, know, that's cheating. You can't put him in there. Yes, I can. No, Why can't. can't I? No, that's cheating. That's How a, is that's that a, cheating? That's a little wild card. He can do anything. Take him out. Uh, no, I refuse. Take him out. Trent Reznor's going in no, there. No, take him out. He's Trent Reznor goes in there card. to be my synth man. No. So he can, yes. he can literally do anything. He's my synth man. No. And him. there's a reason. Because he gets to cover synth. I, I can't believe I didn't think of him. <laughs> he gets to cover my synth backgrounds, but he also gets to handle all my drumming. And the reason I and say that. And production. <laughs> and yes. everything if he really wants to. Okay, but that's also like saying Nolly from Periphery. He literally helps write and record. I'm just going to say Trent Reznor and... is my whole band, and he's going to be making <laughs> country rap. Okay, anyway, Trent Reznor is going to be in there as my synth, but that's not going to be his main purpose. His main pr purpose is to be my back-end drummer and create that beautiful bed of really atmospheric beats to be my drumming back-end for the guitar. That, And I want to see how those... You know, if I, This would be like in a dream, right? I really would love to see how that kind of shift between the two riding would actually overlay and if it would juxtapose in a good way or if it would be terrible. But in my mind, I think it'd be cool. We'll see. I mean, well, I guess we'll never see, really. Yes. Travis Barker. I knew it. It's going to be another drummer. He's a good drummer, though. He is, but it's punk music. So it's just going to be chill Trent Reznor beats here and there for some things, right? Oh, yeah. And then he's going to have synth. So what is your but genre? But then we're going to have Huh? What's your genre, then? <laughs> drum and beat? I swear to God. <laughs> it's drum and beat. Jesus Christ. But listen... This is amazing. I don't want to listen to that or you. And I want to see what this would sound like. So there you go. I don't know if you know who literally any of those people are. Uh, you know who Travis Barker is. Everyone knows who Travis Barker is at this point. Uh, but there you go. I hope everybody knows who Travis Trent Reznor is. is at this point as well. Oh, no. I closed out Nine of Facebook because I'm an idiot. Actually, I might have. Just re restore old tab. Control TR. Or Hold up. Here we are. I, I got back to it. What is, what is restore old tab on hotkeys? I have no clue. Uh, but there you go. That's that one. i got to go find the next one up since this is having to reload now. Uh, but Josh, that is your answer. Hope that gives you something to work with that's odd, if nothing else. Uh, you can't say I never did anything for you. That was a weird, long question. 
But so I guess we're moving on to Discord. Or wait, no, no, we still got more Facebook. Give me I, think, I thought you just said that's the last question. Last question from that section. Oh, okay, uh, we got a couple more. Uh, Mr. Michael Scott Potter Schneider, love it. Uh, he is first time that I can remember him asking a question. I could be wrong on that, Michael. Never heard that uh, in my life. So, I, yeah. but either I, way, he says, "Do you listen to any other gaming or unrelated podcast?" I'm a big fan. I think is what he meant. I'm a big fan of the Duck Feed Network and Literate Gamer. When I was heavy into Souls, Don't Give Up Skeleton was a regular show too. Don't Give Up Skull or Skulls. Skeleton. Don't Give Up Skeleton, yeah, it was pretty good. I've only listened one or two, I think, though. Go away, Cortana. Um, but I will say that like, I listen, I watch the Rooster Teeth podcast, and then I watch, an, uh, it's called Off Topic, but it's made by the same people at Rooster Teeth, a.k.a. Achievement Hunter. Mm. And that's kind of it. But I don't even watch them that much. Like, I watch the Rooster podcast depending on who's on there because I don't like uh, some people. They don't vibe well. I yeah, like the original sure. crew. But, yeah, that's pretty much it now. I listen to, because I don't have a lot of time, so I don't listen to any of the gaming ones, at least regularly, and I mean literally a podcast. Uh, I do check every now and then some of Colin's stuff that he does. I really actually make it a goal to specifically avoid um, his PlayStation podcast because now that we're doing one, and even though I'm really glad that he's back into doing yeah, uh, podcasting and specifically gaming and PlayStation, can bleed over. I don't want there to be any accidental, you know, I don't want it to somehow accidentally stain and bleed something in that I didn't intend to do and us end up talking about the same thing or even taint my opinions with his. I'd rather my opinions be my own. So a lot of the times I really focus on not listening to gaming stuff so that I don't end up repeating things and forming opinions based off of other people's words around it. Instead, let it all be from me. Um, So that's an important thing for me just as a person to not want to get into. I do sometimes listen to gaming stuff that I don't feel like would taint an opinion on this or that wouldn't taint a normal opinion that I'd go about sharing. Um, but I just do it selectively. I love Joe Rogan though, because he has a, a literal cast of people on. Yeah, Joe uh, Rogan. It's very easy for me to put on while I'm working and just kind of play through and listen. And uh, also going to give a shout out to Duncan Trussell's podcast, the uh, family uh, hour uh, podcast. It's awesome. Joe Rogan's good depending on the guests as well. Like I don't, yeah. I don't watch every one, but if as a guest, like that looks really interesting, or somebody I know that I like, I take chances a lot because a lot. Sometimes I won't know who they are, and uh, I'll end up enjoying the episodes a lot of the time. It, it's kind of it weird. It's seldom that I start one and stop it. Yeah, it's kind of weird for me because every now and then when I take a chance, it always ends up being really, really political talk, and I'm just like, I don't want. This. I don't mind the political talk personally. I actually enjoy it because one of the things I like about, and this is a point of contention for some people. I I know not everybody thinks that Joe Rogan is pushes against his his guest enough, but I like it because a lot of the time Joe does a good job about pushing against ideas that he doesn't necessarily agree with, and or that he doesn't feel like you're giving enough reasoning behind, and. He's a pretty left person, even though some people want to throw him on the right. And he'll get some right people on there here and there. And what I like about it is it does, even when I do listen to those, which I don't listen to all of them, but when I do listen to those, it does feel like I'm at least getting a balanced take on it right? as much as possible. I feel like if I was going to listen to anybody go against it, Joe, even when sometimes he agrees, will still push against things uh, just to try and get your real stance and why you feel that way. And I appreciate that. But more importantly, I actually just really love Joe's ones where he has other 
uh, comedians on and it's just funny and rolling or he'll have somebody who just did something really interesting like read a book uh, or something like that and I actually really thought the one he had with the guy who handled uh, vaccinations for kids was pretty interesting uh, and just going into which is obviously a big topic right now is should you vaccinate your kids or not so I, I enjoy it for the fact that I feel like I get some minor form of education while I'm doing other work and that's nine times out of ten where I'm listening to it or if I'm driving to uh, an out-of-town customer because I do sales um but yeah, that's definitely it. Thanks for the question, man. I don't, I mean, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I doubt we showed you uh, or introduced you to any podcast that you didn't already know about, but uh, those are the ones that we like. Uh, Justin Bedford, also a new person asking questions, says, do you think PlayStation have subtly won E3 this year without even being there? If you do read out my question, please just refer to me as JB. Oops. <laughs> well, JB, mess that one up. Um, but here we are, JB. I'm going to say uh, we kind of talked about that this about that this week. I'm not going to say that they subtly won because I think if anything, it's hard to win something that you're not in attendance for because they didn't even do a. And I'm not saying they should have. I, I genuinely don't know the best way to handle this, uh, but I think there could be an argument that they won E3 without being there by doing a state of play that wasn't announced as E3 related or anything, but just sneaking it in during E3 week. But they didn't. But they didn't. And, and I, I everybody thought they would. And I think that that's probably a good thing that they didn't is that everybody thought they would and it almost would come off as too much. But I also think there's really a a point that they know that they've shown a lot of the stuff that's going to be big enough to warrant E3 already. And that's why they even talked about opting out of going. And I think everything that they've shown this year so far through their uh, state of plays is that it's stuff that I, I enjoy, and I think I really enjoy it more in the state of play format, even though I don't think the format's perfect. It does, it does need work and tuning, but they've only done two of them. I think they need a little more time under their belt to get this format exactly right and understand how to show stuff, what to show, and all that stuff. But I'm going to say that I don't really know that I have an answer for this because it does, it does get down to the point where... I, I think that I genuinely have a, a problem saying that they won when they weren't there because you can't necessarily win a competition you didn't show up to, right? Right. I mean, don't, you know, I compare it to like another competition. If you were doing a, a, a you know, a decathlon when, and you were in a school debate or whatever, or whatever it is, or, you know, and then you went over there and then you just didn't even, they didn't even show up, you win because they didn't even show up. So not showing up to something that you were anticipated to show up at is a loss. But I want to give Sony the benefit of the doubt as well that they made it painfully clear and early that they weren't going to be here. So I think that they just literally slid through this E3 with nothing. They didn't take a loss. They didn't make a win, but they just kind of did their thing. And that's probably for the best. I think if they showed up at E3 and would have tried to do a big conference considering the fact they had shown a lot of their hand already, it would have actually been perceived i think by many or at least definitely the media as a loss i mean yeah and i I still think that like this year nintendo did a fantastic job and i almost want to say with what we know that sony's coming out with versus what we got nintendo i think nintendo was still to blow blow them out of the water sure (laughs) it's just because what i'm excited for personally what i know this soon versus what i may know later on yeah i've got you okay we got two i think i know we got two more right here we'll get through those and make sure are you sure that's uh, that's is that recent Mm -hmm. that's for 12 okay i thought you only said there's two but okay here we are favorite and this is from josh Ayers, a patron thank you good sir favorite announcement from e3 mine is either final fantasy 8 this year or crystal chronicles being reaffirmed for this year we actual chain 
Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah, my favorite, well, two things. Astral Chain, just seeing more of it, looks amazing. Uh, but technically, I already knew that. If I want to say a new announcement. Um, yeah, if I'm going to go with Death Loop. Because it's, even though I kind of criticize them for not showing enough on it, it's it's honestly a, a minor hype. Not just crazy, but hype of just knowing that I like that studio and seeing what they're going to do next. Yeah, and if I'm going to go with complete newer one that I didn't know was coming, it probably would be... Oh, that's a good question. What did I not know was coming this year that I really, really liked? I'll be out here, Brett. What did we not know was coming that was a complete surprise? Um, this year was a lot of stuff that we knew about. Yeah, I Except mean, a couple indie games. There was like Spirit Fair, you know. We, we did talk about how cool. that looks really cool. Uh, I don't know if that's my favorite though. But a lot of stuff. I mean, if anything for you, I think if it was probably the most exciting thing that you had seen. What in the hell did you just do? Turned your caps lock off. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but I think if anything, uh, how do you feel about, and I mean entirely from a new announcement standpoint, how do you feel about Breath of the Wild 2 being here? Okay, yeah, there we go. That's I, I knew I was forgetting something. Yeah. Did you see the way that falls in the timeline? No. Oh, okay. But we can talk about that now or, or after. Well, just, it, it's in Twilight Princess timeline. The Ganondorf that is at the bottom of the well that they go to or whatever, uh-huh. that's the Ganondorf from Twilight Princess. Nice. Exactly the same one. Nice. So, Twilight Princess was a good game. Okay. Fun fact about that game, I played that <laughs> completely backwards. I had the strategy guide for it for the Wii, and I played on the GameCube, and of course the Wii was the reflected version. It oh, had Link yes. with a right-hand sword because yes. of the Wii boat. So I was using the game, uh, the guide, and it was like, go east, and that meant west. Dude, there was a lot of people who really did not like that that's the way they chose to do that. What, reflected it? Yeah, because it, it really... It's non-canon, technically, it, it, or not? Well, like, it, not even that. Why, why mirror it? It's literally unnecessary. Well, because most people are, are right-handed, so they, they felt that if you swing the sword with your right hand, then you, the sword, you know, Link swings with his right my hand. My assumption really comes down to that they had to do that because they didn't because they were going to the Wii. They had made the entire game and all the animations around it made for the left hand, and instead of doing something as simple as just reanimating Link, it wouldn't have been able to be that because I'm sure all the blocking and stuff from the enemies was all done as if you were attacking them from the left-hand side, and that might mean that you had to go through and mirror animations on every one of them. So instead, they go mirror the whole damn game. But I just feel like that's yeah. a really weird way to go about doing that. I think it ran better on the Wii too than the GameCube. Oh, it probably it, it might have. I don't know. Yeah, I love. They're Twilight. very similar hardware. Yeah, I love Twilight. I really wish there was a remaster remake of that. Uh, like well, there, there was, was on the Wii, but you know, Wii well, U. you know, a, a system that's not dead. Dead. Yeah, <laughs> for lack of a better term, dead than anything else. All right, one more question, and this is from Mr. Josh Shoop. He says, "For Brett, what is your dream musical equipment?" Uh, because I really did. Uh, you know, I actually became a bass player almost. Uh, without the intention to do it. We needed a bass player, and it's also how I became a vocalist for our band. We needed a vocalist, so we kind of just did this fill-in-as-you-go and try and figure it out, and we ended up working with the style that we wanted. Uh, the spoken word and screaming were both things that I had a, a natural ability to kind of lean toward, I think. Um, and I actually ended up really liking bass, and one of the favorite things I ever had, uh, and it was actually a really cool one, but it's not my dream one, I had uh, for a little bit, a uh, Ibanez, and I really actually like the uh, the Ibanez wow, series. I don't know why you lowered that, your That's seat. not that expensive. No, it's not. Um, but the Sound Gear Ibanez body, I think, is really, really comfortable. It's rounded off so it doesn't dig into you. Uh, and I know a lot of people crap on Ibanez, but I think this is what you do with Ibanez. You buy a body, you buy a guitar with a great weight ratio. It, it's comfortable to hold. It's not too heavy on one end or the other. It's got great you know, build to it, build quality goes down. The neck is comfortable. It's slim. It fits in your hand. It's actually the base I have right now is a sound gear. Um, but, 
what I always wish I could have gotten was a fan fret version of it. Take it, and then what you actually want to do with an Ibanez, if you're dealing with dream guitar territory and you have the money and know-how or time to get the things down, is to actually rip out all of the electronics from the Ibanez, keep a great body, and then slap new electronics, new everything, new pickups, all of that into it. Uh, and I'm actually quite a fan of, and, and this is a real big point of contention as well, and it depends on the music you're saying you're playing, but I really do like a EMG pickup. Throw me an EMG humbucker in there just so I can kind of get some aggressive bass when I need to. But Dirty bass. Throw me also in a, you know, and I don't know why I can't think of the damn name of the pickup right now. I'm brain farting. But just a single coil that goes across to give you a smooth kind of rounded when you're trying to do something that's a little more nuanced. Like a lot of our songs. It's like a single um, coil jazz pickup? Yeah, kind of. And the reason that I kind of go off of that, and, and specifically Seymour Duncan make great things for this. They do. And they're, the reason, they're not expensive either. They're, no, they're like not. 50, they're, 60 bucks yeah, for they're, pickup. They're, they're great pickups. And part of the reason I love them is that they have this thing where they take the sound quality of anything you're doing. And as long as you have a body that really just ties up well with them, they're great pickups anyway. Uh, but I know from playing with a sound gear that had Seymour Duncan's on it, uh, the reason I want the EMG there is so I can get a little bit more aggressive on some of the choruses we do where I actually did punch in. Uh, but on some of the other parts, you've heard a lot of our songs. Um, yeah, a lot of our songs start with a little bit more of a of a very melodic and slow and atmospheric buildup. And when you're doing that, and you're doing real slow slides and stuff on the on the bass, and your bass part is there, but it's not in your face present. Uh, you know, in terms of those parts where they're kind of more nuanced and working alongside. And I I actually really like to play a different. You know, I, when I play bass, I don't like to just follow the guitar player. I like to go a little bit out of the notes and get complimenting notes that are actually nowhere touched on the guitar but create a cool back end. Um, so that's what I like to do. And because of that, that little mixture gives you a really great thing. Uh, and what I really like about a couple of these guitars, like the one I have, has got a pickup. Not only can you switch between pickups, then you can actually switch to the level of hotness on the pickups that I already have on mine. So you can actually kind of create a semi-hot sound if you want to. And then if you still want to have a little bit of an edge to it and not go quite to that smooth rolling sound of the Seymour Duncan, you can actually just switch down because mine doesn't have a Seymour Duncan, sadly. But what I normally do to get down uh, as close as possible is it has like a, and I actually genuinely don't even know what it's called because it's the first time I've ever seen it on a bass, but you can click down and it kind of lowers like how hot the pickups are. And it gives you a real close to that. And what I'll do is kind of saturate the bass a little more so it's a little more rolly uh, and I, I like that it, it tends to work for me but give me that on a five string fan fret bass with a nice black quilted top I'm a sucker for the quilted top that kind of goes into a uh, quilt with the kind of a grayish in the middle but with black on the edges beautiful I, I, I just think they're good looking guitars there are other great ones too uh, but I mean if, when I think about bass that's what I like because it's it, non Nine-tenths of that is legitimately just comfort and looks. Um, so there's more, but, you know, that's also like a $1,500 guitar. And while I could afford that, it's just not rare that I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah. My current bass was $600, and I like it a lot. It's very comfortable. Uh, I've debated now that I don't do band stuff as much and I have the time to get away with it, switching out my pickups and actually pulling out all the electronics and doing it myself. We'll see. Makes sense. I right, I'm going to double-check, but that should have been it. You Ooh. do that. And then you'll be ready with Twitter? Twitter. All right. Did you see the thing that... Uh, yep. Okay. Because that's, that's the only that's one we have. Pretty quick. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay, cool. That works. All right. Yeah, that's it. All right. We so are, our good solid. buddy, Derek, Life Reimagined on Twitter, says, I just want to get your opinion on something. So it was confirmed that Final Fantasy VII Remake will be episodic, and it's rumored to be the first one just covers <laughs> Midgar. 
That is less than 10 hours of gameplay in the 1997 original, if I remember correctly. You do remember that correctly. He also goes on to say, ideally, each episode should be roughly 30 to 40 hours of gameplay to justify the $60. Do you guys have the same concern that I have that they will put in a bunch of cutscenes and miscellaneous filter missions to extend the play time? And then he goes on to say, finally, I guess I'm just concerned that they are breaking it up to make a bunch of cash instead of just keeping it true to the original. It's still, I still get it, of course, because I love the original, but I have a feeling there's some backlash if it's just bloated to make it a longer game. Exactly what I've been saying. Yeah, that's there's, why I wanted to bring it up on here is that this is a question. This is a, a topic that Saul and I have talked a little bit about on the show, but we've talked a lot about it. I'm even in more playing concerned Destiny, now. You know what I mean? Yeah, more concerned now that we know it's Midgar. And as far as yeah, yeah that's uh, one thing I do want to say is as far as I know, I mean, it's legitimately if it, unless I'm just remembering something wrong, it is confirmed that the first game is all Midgar. It is. And um, here's here's a, here's a bit of perspective for you. Like what Derek was saying, it really would only take you four, maybe five hours to get through Midgar on your first playthrough. And yet somehow they have almost multiplied this time by ten. I don't know how. I am leaving judgment up, though, because we they could sneak some Crisis Core stuff in. They could sneak there's, some stuff in. I is, don't know. There's a lot of ways. I have faith, but I am very skeptical. Yeah, I agree that I there's a worried. lot of ways to... I don't even want to use the word pad because it gives a negative connotation. There are a lot of ways to add more time to Midgar. And, and the reason I even say this is because part of it you got to look at is who do they bring back? And one of the things they made sure they did with this is that they brought back the original person who worked on the game, the original director, what, alongside a new director so that does get a fresh coat of eyes. So one of the things they've been saying about this, and this is more of why I'm not incredibly scared and kind of just like, well, it's, it is what they said they were going to do. So at least they're being consistent with their own you know, messaging right now uh, is that is from the get-go, it was always going to be parts. We knew that from day one. So I appreciate that. They they were really adamant in saying, hey, this is not going to be one game. We're not going right. to say how many. And I'm, I feel like that's pretty, they don't want to paint themselves into a corner for whatever reason. Just, hey, let's work on the game. We know it's not going to be two parts. Maybe we'll see how far we get in the remake in the first one and what feels natural as an end and how much content there is and all this stuff and go over that. Or maybe it's just, you know, you never know. It could literally just be that they don't paint themselves into a corner. Yeah, um, and it's hard to talk about it, too, without being super spoilerific for those that haven't played it that yes. are wanting to play it. I, but I, I'm not going to go too far into spoilers. So. Yeah, and I, I so for an example, I've been playing 7 on the Switch, and I have just now, I've beaten the final boss, quote-unquote, of Midgar, the last boss you fight before you begin to leave, and I am barely over two hours in. Granted, I played the game before, so I know where to go. I actually think I'm almost closer to three hours And you're in. playing on three times speed, right? No. Okay. I don't... No, if you play on three times speed, the clock is three times speed. Everything is three times speed. Oh, is it? So it's just quicker I've never to done get it. around. Yeah, I've never yeah. done it. Yeah, so if you play on three times speed, your time bar moves at three times speed, but so does the enemies. That's interesting. So every, yeah, so it just speeds the game up. So maybe if you're grinding out battles or something, it's yeah, just faster. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, but yeah, so I will say that like I am worried because there is, I, I'm, I'm sure there's stuff they can add, but with the way that they do Sephiroth in the original version, I don't really think, what we see in the trailer, there's obviously um, a minor spoiler, not even really a spoiler, but something that happens in the original game is that Cloud often has visions or these moments in which he seizes up and he's he hears himself talking to himself in a way uh, that one I won't really say much about yeah because um, <laughs> you gotta be real cagey on yeah that. but and it's one of those things that is 
it's I, I mean I could see them doing that out in cutscenes, but I really don't know what they can do to make this literally ten times longer than what it is. It's gonna be hard because I'm gonna it's gonna feel like for me that no matter what, it's gonna feel padded out because it's just extra content. The what they can do to excel this is that they can make this content phenomenal and make it not feel like forty hours, or make it even so that. Like, there's not much you can really learn about. I mean, I guess you could learn more about Shinra, maybe. There, maybe. there is a lot you can do. Yeah. But I'm I want to let you finish your point before, because I think you might be working to a point that I want to make already. So well, go ahead. I'm just worried more so about the actual content time. I'm worried about how long it'll take to get the second episode. I'm worried that if, if I beat this in 40 hours, then I have to wait another year and a half to two years to get the second episode. And I really do, personally, on, on that remark, I do think that we'll see... Because we saw it with 13, and 13 was a trilogy that was all tied together in the way they did it. And 13, every part of 13 released 18 months apart. Yeah. now That's too it, long. It's, it, I, it's too long. Okay. Let me, how do I figure this out? It's not too long for me, but I completely understand what you mean by it's too long. It's too long for a for singular a lot story. Of, it's, it's, too mu- it's too long for a lot of people who are still viewing this in their head because you have no other frame of reference well, and the thing, as to how can this be more. The thing is, so you, you're, the, the original is one game. So right. in your mind, I get it, is that the reason it seems too long is you already have the entire story to work off of. But that's the people but that, that are leads most excited me to another about. Point. Yeah, that, you, that's you're the right. most excited. You are right. Uh, you know, group of people that are, uh, that are excited for this game is the people who've played it before so we're literally going to get through midgar in 40 hours which to to me that just sounds like it's going to be hard to do that's not a drag it just sounds like that's hard to do i understand i really i'm excited to see what they do but i'm going to remain skeptical about it i still don't think that that they should have done this way i think that this game could have been released as like a 120 dollar master collection thing where you get everything and then there is everything in the game there is no episodes nothing like that i would have waited an extra two years to get it based off what we have now now if they come out and say you know this is only six months apart from each other you get episode two and you know whatever i guess they might minimize it to a year and honestly even a year isn't awful you know what i mean april may june july august and dude september if we're being honest 18 so think about 13 and you remember how long 13 was 13 was about 35 to 45 hours exactly all right that's a long game i mean by today's standards that's today's standard not our standards yes because when you think about it god of war was 40 something Yeah, and we got it within a week done. Yeah. So then we're... Of course. And that's that's I, our fault, technically, it is. for going through a game so fast. But, but that's how everybody's going to More importantly, game. how long did it take them to make that 40-hour game? Three years. Because they restarted development three years ago, didn't they? Two mm-hmm. years ago? Are you, are you talking about for Final Fantasy? Yeah. I'm talking about for God of War. I'm talking about for Final Fantasy. Yeah, so... But God of War was also, from the ground up, everything new. Whereas when they, Final when Fantasy they VII, development. That became that became a very similar issue. Well, hold on. What I mean by that is that God of War, it was there was there wasn't a pre made template for God of War. For it, it was forty hours. <laughs> for there to be forty hours hold in on, Midgard, let me get almost... my point across. It took them five years because on God of War, they're making an entirely new story and and figuring out how to completely change a game. This one, when they scrap development, essentially puts it at three years of development time, right? But that works out because they have somewhat of a guideline because of the original and the fact that this is a remake but also a reimagining it's, it's similar though when you think about it it's it's that the the core value of the gameplay stripped away and it's different so yeah. that's completely from the ground up gameplay gameplay the story at this point for the story board is completely different the, yes and but now not how, completely zero or one nothing. of the things that we don't know and i am really curious and i'm not saying it's for sure right one of the things we genuinely don't know 
is we one, okay. I'm gonna start with what we do know. What we do know and what they started with is saying that they brought back the original producer, and there was a lot of things that's they wanted to do with the too, original. Scary. It may not be. It may not be. But, I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying that's not always a good thing. Exactly. But uh, when they brought him back, you know, one of the things they did when they were talking about it, the reason they even wanted to bring him back and most of the people who worked on the original is that a lot of things that wanted to be in the game were completely unable to be in the game due to time, due to having to move right. development from 64 to PlayStation 1, due to having to deal with and the I limitations of the time. And I, and I know that. So I get it, it makes but... you wonder, and we it, it, it's hard, right? When a game is iconic and been around for 20 years, and... it's hard to imagine that Everything they're putting in this game could have been ideas. Could have been. I'm not saying that they are. Right. Could have been ideas that they originally wanted to do in the original and just couldn't. So how how similar does that game feel at that point, right? Yeah, and that's what I was about to get to. The To answer his question as best I honestly can, the only thing that you can really do with that is get in the camp of one or the other. Either you're going to be where you currently are and be worried and still buy it and just hope for the best based off of someone who wants it to be as faithful to the original as possible. That'd be me. Or go, this is a remake slash reimagining, and they continue to say that. So they're being very adamant about what at least it is. So at this point, do you prefer that it stays? Would you have preferred, I guess, because now we know what it is. Would you have preferred that it stayed closer to the original and never and didn't add a damn thing? Or do, are you okay with them trying to make the vision as close as what they wanted? And it doesn't mean that this is going to end up being the be, the better of the two games for you or for anybody for I, that I, sake. I, but I think that they're clearly in the second camp and you either join them in that camp and just get as excited as you can for what that is, which is a lot of mystery. Or you just yeah. sit in the one camp of saying, I'm going to play it because I have a lot of love for that game. But right now at this stage, until we learn more, I can't, I can't get comfortably behind it because I just don't know enough. And I think that sadly you're in that position. You're stuck because I, I completely see both standpoints, but as somebody who thinks that the original seven, even though it's good, has a lot of spots that need to be filled in. And I think that doing so with stuff from crisis core and actually elaborating more on certain aspects, like giving us more about Shinra, why they're doing what they're doing, what, happens in terms of giving us more insight to what the live stream is and how materia works and all these things. These are all things that could be explored in really cool ways and really fun ways and make Midgar happen, but in a very different play out. But I also want to say, it seems very likely that the way that this story goes is it's almost like the ratchet and clank 2016, where it is a reimagining of the first ratchet and clank game, but that does not mean the story happens the same way. Yeah. So it takes liberties. And one it, thing I think might happen is I actually think, crazily enough, that we might get multiple Sephiroth boss fights across the games. And what I mean by that is I think Sephiroth may actually end up being the final boss of this game, but it's not the end of Sephiroth in this story. And I think that they're taking liberties with the story, and maybe this is what they originally wanted to do and couldn't. Again, yeah, we don't and, know. And but I do think that you're going to have to deal with the fact that because of what you're seeing in Midgar becoming 40 to 50 hours, or you know, even 30 to 40 hours, it's still a big chunk different it's anywhere from eight to 10 times as much as the original. But if they're, if they're doing so much that they're changing some parts of the story to fit that dream, but still keeping the overall tone of the story and what they were going for similar, I could see it working out, but we're just in the dark. And that's the sad yeah. truth. You know, there is, there is a little theory that I have. And that is that, that, that at the times of which I'm going uh, to, we're going to fight Kadaj. Which that'd be cool, even though <laughs> not canon. Um, well, the thing is, none of the old things are canon to this. Like they're all canon to each other. They're all canon in the seven universe, but this isn't included. But seven in the is seven, in a new it's a universe cluster muck of everything. But um, 
you know, when Claude has those moments of of mental despair, I yes. actually think that that's when we're going to see Sephiroth manifests. What we see yes. him in the trailer, I'm pretty sure that's what that is. Yes. Um, but moving on to Discord, we have Bedwards530. He says, what is y'all's favorite memory from Brett's old house <laughs> in the country? Mine is when we used to make those ridiculous rap songs. Uh, so and okay, that was Brandon, by the way. So Brandon, I know. he I just, is I know, but he is a good patron, and, I, and uh, he is a patron, and he's a he's a long time friend. So Brandon, uh, thanks for the question, buddy, and thanks for supporting us. We love you. Um, <laughs> I, I love this question just because it's so ridiculous and it's so tied into. It's honestly, it's a great question because I don't think without him being in this, I'm not sure that anyone would have ever asked a question that would have led to this. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Um, Brandon, mine is very closely tied to those really ridiculous rap songs. They are bad. They're funny. You still have the MP3 of Seth but they're bad. on I there? have all of them. You have Seth rapping? Yes, I do. Good gracious. Um, speaking oh. of which, i got to talk to you about Seth, but we'll we'll get to that in a minute. I think uh, I know what it's about, what, isn't it? <laughs> is it about Scizor? What'd he say? <laughs> we'll talk about it later. Um, anyway. Is he mad at me because he believes no, it's no, 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 no. Okay. Just, <laughs> you're ruining it now. If he watches this, you're ruined. <laughs> um, anyway. While I really like those and those are fun, I actually got to say, I think the most fun I ever had at the house, and it was so ridiculous, and it's so tied into being a young person with a house to yourself and with a bunch of friends who just come over to your house and wreck crap. Um, we used to do, and I don't think you ever came over for these, Brandon. I, I'm pretty sure you, were, you weren't around at that point. Uh, you might have been for one, though. We did Nerf Wars at the house. Yeah, the few times I've done that was fun. Dude, that was... I, I mean, think I only did it with y'all like three times. So what we would do is we would Total get like darkness. eight people coming over and we'd have every light in the house off and it'd be midnight. And then what we would do is we all, we all had Nerf guns of different things. We had pistols that had little lasers that you who, who could use. Who got shot in the eye? Was it Blazer said? Andrew. Like oh, Andrew. eight times <laughs> in the same night. It was magic. I don't know how. It, it, it's one of those things where things just happen that shouldn't be physically possible, but because you have a bunch of people being idiotic in a room, they just start to happen. So the, the setup was this. One person or two people group of people would be considered the outsiders and they'd go outside wait on the front porch give everybody time to kind of get into their own position and hide or whatever uh and the premise was so dumb it was like they were cops and we're like thieves and robbers and criminals that are hiding and trying to get away from the law or whatever and it was a battle of who could kill who so you could kill the cop who was coming in that was like five years ago by the way yes maybe six years ago yeah yeah uh six years ago is pretty pretty close it was 2013 2014 something like that yeah. yeah um so anyway that would be the setup, and then the per- the people from out in the ports would come in. It'd be a little actually brighter outside, so you'd come into a pitch black house, and we had blackout curtains all across the house. You couldn't see a damn thing, uh, and it was so funny because the way my house is set up is it was like all open here is a big open living room, and right beside that was like it not it was separate but not with a wall, but it was like a dining room, and then there was a bar into the kitchen and that was all open, but the bar kind of hid a little bit of the kitchen, uh, and then there was a hallway and there was bedrooms, and we had a music room, Seth's room at the time, and then my room, and we would all just hide in various places, and the cop would come in, you know, whoever it was, and you had a gun with a pistol, and you had a laser that you could try and use to yeah. figure out what you're doing, but no holds bar. You could do whatever you wanted. And probably my favorite one of it is tied between two of them. Cause it's just really hard to choose. So it's the one where that night we were playing with, <laughs> with Michael and, uh, we had Andrew over there. And this is the one you're talking about with the eye. where we, ne- but when we first started this, we never wore eye protection. 
And I don't. You say first started. I don't think we ever did. No, we never did. Actually, yeah. I think Andrew ended up doing because he got getting hit in the eye. For some reason that he got, night, he Andrew got so got, mad. He got he got hit in the eye. It wasn't eight times, but it was three like, times three in the four. same night. Yeah, and it was one of them was so impossible that Michael we all did died it, laughing. Didn't, didn't Michael do it every yes. time? That's yes. what I thought. And it was so funny because one of it that happened is that the so Andrew was hiding in Seth's bedroom. It was the end of a hallway. Like you know, you have a hallway going down, and if you're standing looking down the hallway, there's a door right there in the hallway. That was Seth's room. It was cracked, and Andrew had the door cracked and had his eye looking out to see if he could see Michael. <laughs> and at that moment, Michael shot the gun and threw a crack of about an inch and a half. It just right, in right into his eye, which was magical. I think I was in the bathroom at that point, and I got scared that somebody had gotten hurt with how loud Andrew was. I was either in the bathroom, I was in your your master bathroom. Yeah, you could have been in either. Uh, but that's very closely tied, though, and I don't know which one's better. This is Seth, so Saul's little brother, uh, who was my friend before me and Saul were friends. Um, but he lived with me at the time, and what was going on um, was <laughs> – I don't think you were there for that one. You and Michael weren't, I don't think, but you might have been. For the one with Andrew? No, this is with Bo. Oh, no, I, I didn't Okay, I didn't Bo think so. Uh, there was Bo, Jonathan, everybody was over. And what we were doing is that Bo was the cop. <laughs> so Bo went outside and then Bo came back in and he had, he, he looked around for a few minutes and he had a hunch that Seth was in the kitchen or I, I don't even know if it was a, it was a hunch for Seth, but he had, he thought someone was in the kitchen. So his way to check it out was to open his phone, turn on this like red and blue flashing light and slide it into the kitchen. Well, Seth has a form of epilepsy that we've not been able to completely confirm, but flashing lights make his body like legit tense up to where he can't move. And so he was standing in the kitchen with his gun up and (laughs) Bo takes his phone, turns the flashing light on and just slides it into my kitchen on the linoleum floor. And you just see it slide right to the bottom of Seth's feet. And it's directly in Seth's face. Seth looks down and goes, Oh fuck. And then, Like a brick wall, just fucking (laughs) (laughs) fell on his face and had like a little mini seizure. And it was, of course, terrible that he was having a seizure, but it was so funny that the happenstance worked that way that it was just completely fine now. Unforgettable. Unforgettable. All right, we got another one here. We do. Good old old buddy Josh Shoop says, What in your minds is better uh, of a memorial boss fight who had better music? Kefka from Final Fantasy VI or Sephiroth from Final Fantasy VII? This is undisputed. You know, I think me and Saul are completely Kefka in agreement. is the best boss fight. One Winged Angel is the best villain song from any media, movie, show, video game ever made. I agree. 100%. And the reason that we say that, and I know that there was some talk from Liam about Kefka's theme being really cool, and it is. It I'm is. Not no, it, it is cool. It's, it's cool. just not it's great. memorable compared but here's the problem. to One Winged Angel. One Winged Angel is literally iconic and you literally fight a twisted joker that is kefka yeah did you see this thing did you, i i shared it the other day uh it was a facebook post that was going on but it's actually hilarious it's apparently not look it's final fantasy in a nutshell and the description for six is so apt star wars but the emperor is killed and replaced by the joker halfway through racism is bad that is dude perfect <laughs> talking about the uh espers and everything it's so good um but yeah that's uh, uh did you share that in discord no, I don't think I did. It was just in the the Facebook. But uh, there are a lot of funny ones. I could show you some more. Uh, but yeah, I agree with Saul. Kefka is a great, amazing boss fight. And I also think the 6 is an amazing game. I'm actually replaying through it right now and enjoying it very much. Uh, outside of the loading, 
that I did not realize PS1 had so badly. It's just weird in a time where disc-based games aren't actually disc-based. They download, so they load way quicker. Um, but with that said, yeah, the One-Winged Angel, Angel is just... And part of it's because Kingdom Hearts making Sephiroth more known outside. But, dude, Seven is just... Because of Seven's popularity, it made One-Winged Angel, which is also an amazing song, that much more known. So it just has this point where it has an impact on more people. Uh, but next question up, we have a patron, Atlas Unchained. He asks, what, in your opinion, of course, is the funniest dirty joke you know? I don't have any dirty jokes. Let's hear it. Man, th- see, I, th- a lot of them just exist because they're ridiculous. I think the one that always just makes me laugh because of how dumb it is Uh and was it, they often get mentioned in TV because of how ridiculous they are. So the office actually does one of them, which is the the witch's broomstick joke. Yeah, and I'm sure everyone knows that. But why does a what is it? The, why does a why does a witch wear panties so she can grip the broomstick? Um, which is a funny joke. I mean, realistically, I just think of the witches in Witcher Three at that point. <laughs> Yucky. Oh god. Um, but the other one that was also mentioned, and it was mentioned in How I Met Your Mother, is. Um, hold on. I, I've got to look it up because I know it, but I don't want to mess it up. I have a good anti-joke. You want to hear it? Go ahead. Okay. So growing up, you know, me, Seth and uh, Chase, we all hanging out in the, the little development behind the neighborhood that was being built with new houses. I don't know if I told you this. Anti-joke oh, yeah. I don't know how. I knew it, but I just want to be sure I said it right. But go ahead. But uh, we got bored one day, and it just had rained, so we normally go and explore the uh, abandoned uh, houses that they're currently building. And we saw that there's a lot of red clay, really, really wet red clay. So we thought we'd have a strength contest. We picked a brick up. We, we would think, how could we do this? We just throw the brick in the ground and see how far it goes. That won't work. So what we decided to do was basically granny throw it straight up in the air and let it hit the ground, right? And then whoever sinks the farthest, their brick wins. I go over there, throw it straight up in the air. Comes back down and lands about four inches into the dirt. Not too, not too bad, but not too great. Seth goes over there, throws it up, comes down, lands about an inch and a half, two inches in the dirt. Not too bad, not too great. Chase goes over there. Chase walks over there all smug and confident. Is this a real story? No, no. This is an anti-joke. Okay, I'm making sure. Chase throws the brick straight up in the air. Just there, it comes back down. Anti-joke. <laughs> okay. What was your joke there? Uh, the, and like I said, TV mentions it. So technically, it's not on How I Met Your Mother. They actually don't include the punchline because it's more funny that they don't do it that way. The joke, and I've heard it else, outside of that too, is... What's the difference, <laughs> so bad, between peanut butter and jam? <laughs> that is my favorite adult joke. It's so stupid. It is. The difference is I can't peanut butter my dick up your ass. <laughs> yeah. It's a golden joke. I it mean, is. honestly, and I, I'm, I'm 99% sure you know it. Oh. But it's funny. I have a new one. Or I have one. What's up? Um, so a woman is traveling down the street of New York. And the guy stops her in the middle of an alley and says, hey, let me show you something. Whips open his trench coat, has an exotic-looking parakeet on his, in his trench coat. He says, this parakeet's worth $20,000. Now, this is about the 1960s in New York. Uh, actually, I'd say about 1970s going into the 80s in New York. And uh, <clears throat> she needs some cash for Christmas. So, of course, she says, yeah, I'll buy how much? He says 500 He said, but the only way you can sell this is if you travel to Cuba and you sell it at the black market. So the woman says, oh, okay, I guess I'll just go buy a plane ticket then. 
So she buys the parakeet and the plane ticket. And on her way to the airport with the parakeet, she realizes something. How is she going to get this parakeet on board? So she does what anybody else would do. She goes and goes into the mall and buys a big old nice jacket and puts the parakeet in the jacket and zips it up, gets on the plane. So, of course, this is way back then where actually pilots did this. And pilots walking around up and down the aisles checking on everybody. He goes up to the woman and says, everything okay with your flight? You doing okay? And she said, yep. And then he walked, started walking away here. And then turned around, said, ma'am, are you okay? And she kind of tugging at her jacket and said, yeah, I'm fine. And he's like, okay. And started walking away. And little parakeet sound again. Turned around and said, ma'am, are you trying to smuggle animals on this plane? And she said, no, I'm not crazy. What are, you th- what are you talking about? So the guy said, ma'am, I need you to go ahead and open up uh, your jacket and let me see. So she opens up the jacket. And, of course, the illegal parakeet right there, plain in sight. Pilot takes the parakeet, says, you're not allowed to have this on this plane. Rips open a window, throws the parakeet out. <laughs> Parakeet's gone. This joke about, has no logical boundaries. It doesn't. <laughs> It really doesn't. So about 10 minutes later, the pilot comes back and uh, smoking a Cuban cigar, something that is not commonly legal back then in the United States. I don't know if they're legal now. They're not. So woman stands up real quick and shouts and says, you threw my bird out the window for being illegal. You have an illegal cigar in your mouth. Pilot says, I'm the pilot of this plane. I'll do what I want. Starts to walk away. Lady goes over there and pecks at his shoulder with her fingers and says, give me that cigar. And he just looks at her confidently and says, no. She rips it out of his lips, opens up a window, and throws the cigar at the plane. They get into a big old arguing and yelling match. Everything's said and done. He shouts for her to go back to her seat. He's dropping her off at the next airport they come across. He goes back, sits at the, uh, at the cockpit of the plane, and, and begins to start find the plane again. And three hours later passes by, starts to get real heavy storm. Something hits his windshield. What hits his windshield? The bird? The brick. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, that, that, that Rooster Teeth, that, that joke came from a Rooster podcast, and I freaking loved it. It is so terrible. <laughs> it was, but it's like... <laughs> well, I hope none of you have ever watched the Rooster Teeth podcast that came from, because it wouldn't have had much going for you. No, yeah. That's one of those jokes that's so stupid, because it's one of those ones that you have to tell such a story. Yeah, and then... You and you have to, to get people lost because, in the story. Yeah, because they're not going to say the brick. I told that to Annie. She's like, what brick? And I'm like, never mind. <laughs> What's worse is we answered questions between these. Yeah. So we only have a couple more left on <clears throat> Discord. Uh, El Chabib, our good buddy, says, do you guys use any specific game list you plan to buy or play in the future? I used to use one, but the, uh, the app developer stopped supporting it and was open for suggestions. No. Um, I actually have never thought about that. So essentially an, an app that has every game listed where you can kind of go in and say, uh, I want to put this on a future buy list so that next time that I'm thinking Something like, like a wish list, yeah, that yeah. may tell you the prices and stuff. No, I don't, I've never used anything like that before. Well, I don't even know games. what the price is, but even just having something where you don't forget a game because you can, in the moment, you can say, let me pull my phone out because you always have it on you and say, oh, this game looks interesting, but it's not a huge game, so I likely won't see it advertised again. Let me go ahead and put it in this app so that next time I, I'm in a gaming lull or have time or have some money that I, that I, there's nothing immediately that I want, I can look at this app and go, oh, yeah, there's that game. Maybe back And I, I think was... there's a really good use for that, but I've never done it. I'm actually – so I'm sorry I don't have a suggestion for you, but I, if anything, you've just suggested to me that this is something I might should look into because I do occasionally let games go by for a long time. I was very late to Hollow Knight because it just came out at a weird time, even though I wanted to play it from uh, from, from launch. So – 
Yeah, and I don't really ever use anything like that. So for anybody that does know or that does use something like this, let Brett and El Chabib know. I'm interested in kind of hearing about it too. All right, next one from El Chabib. Again, and I, I like this one. He says, okay, triangle squared Brett, triangle squared Saul. Oh, sorry. Hold yeah, on. that's why I That's the one it. we just did. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, El Chabib, you actually had that question answered because that was our main topic for oh, episode 116. There is, there is one thing that I, I wanted to bring up about E3 that I didn't. Uh, and it's there's one in particular. Well, hold um, on. Does it fit into the community's take question that we're answering in the next no, episode? Okay. No. And it, it's only about one part of his question that I wish I would have answered because I, I, I had thought about it. And then we got into the episode and we were trying to hurry because it's Father's Day and you needed to go and I, I needed to go. Are you talking about the, uh, the, the back part? N- yeah. The next Xbox reveal. And the one thing I want to say about that is that it was overall, even though I still give Microsoft credit, the problem with it was is that if anything, I actually think Sony did it better by letting it not be a huge thing that they bring up and waste time with on an E3 stage and in a press conference. And instead of just going, hey, you know what? We have an article that we just put out on a random day. Didn't even hype it up. Nobody knew it was coming. Here you go. And they actually gave us a little bit more detail than even Xbox did. Uh, So I think in a bigger sense... It was that was actually another lull to me for the Xbox thing because I get why I think that they kind of had to do it. PlayStation had already revealed their card and kind of took their ability to do it when they wanted to away to an extent. So of course they kind of go back by well it's E three. Everybody already knows what the competition is doing. We have to reaffirm our console now. But I would have preferred them to not show it in that sense. I actually would have preferred uh, very similar to what they did with the PS four Pro where they just talked about it like a, a week before E three. Yeah, and they just and that had, wasn't like, like hey, a meeting too, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean it was. Well, like a presentation, but it wasn't a, a gaming presentation. It was like a marketing presentation. Or something, something like that, yeah. yeah. But either way, it just, I, I don't know. And I, I'm probably remembering it wrong, actually. I, I can't honestly remember. I think what it was maybe was talking about PS5, but there was a point in time where they said, yeah, we're not going to talk about that at E3 because there's no point to. Uh, and here, here's the information that's pertinent. And I thought that was honestly better. I think that even if Xbox would have just essentially copied PlayStation and just getting a journalist to come through with an exclusive interview that's going to get a lot of attention and say, hey, here's our here's our stuff, and actually show something. That's the other thing. If anything, Sony's takeaway that you got to see was a, was a developer who got to witness one of the biggest touted features, which is the uh, improved load times due to the SSD, the custom SSD, uh, and that gets you to a point where it's like, okay, there was more substance to that, and it felt like a more rewarding read and announcement than what Xbox ended up doing, but yeah, it is what it is. Uh, okay, next question up. We got two more. Uh, as and This is Bobo May, so Mr. Josh Shoop. He says, as it is clear that you guys are both fans of Slipknot, what do you think is the best album, and what is your favorite song overall? Liam, Liam and I found that band very, I'm assuming he meant early, with their first record. And at, the first, and at that time, it was just a very small group of people in our school that knew about them. It was a very exciting time, no doubt in my mind, though. I would say that my favorite is the first record for that reason, Eeyore Taking the Cake. Literally everything about that song is epically cool. Eeyore is amazing. The first album is amazing. But, and it's so weird. Um, and uh, this might come with time. I think that might be some of it. Uh, it. I love the first album, and it had a huge impact on me. But I discovered them with Iowa, so it might be the same problem that you're having there for me in, in thinking of the first album as their pinnacle, is that I found them on what I believe to be their pinnacle. But here's the thing. I found them with, with Iowa. I went back and listened to the first album and fell in love with it hard. And I actually liked it more than Iowa for a long time. Then Volume 3 came out, and I loved Volume 3. It was all I would listen to for about a year and a half. And then I picked back up on Iowa for some reason, and it was amazing. And it was like, 
for an album I know, since it's been years since I first found them, it somehow sits with me in a way different sense. And it hit at the middle of my teenage years, and that album is really crazy and angsty and dark and brutal in a lot of weird ways. And I think what it is for me is that as iconic as both of them really truly are, I think that they literally hit their stride with Iowa in a way that more represents what they are now than it did than than their first album does. Their first album is so wrapped up in the new metal rap rock thing, and there's a lot of songs that represent that, but that's not really something you see in any album past it. So I'll give it a bit I'll give it that it's really unique and I love it for that reason. And I think that that album is just as iconic in terms of imagery and stuff like that. And of course it gives you songs like Wait and Bleed, which are amazing. Uh, but yeah. I think when you move through and look at Iowa Iowa is probably when the band was at their worst point in their life in a lot of ways. And I think that shines through in a lot of ways, even some things down. I think it's, it's easily between those two though. And that a lot of the way it comes through with Ross Robinson's mixing and, and, and the way that he chooses to do production on a record. I love it. It's visceral. It's raw. All of my favorite corn albums were done by him when he came back for corn and did corn three. Remember who you are. It was an amazing return to form for them. And I'm actually a little sad that the new album uh, has not con- been confirmed yet as to whether or not Ross Robinson is working on it. I really hope that he is for Slipknot's new album. Um, but Iowa, definitely the best record. Favorite song, and this is very personal. I love Disaster Pieces. That song, there's something about that little interlude kind of bridge that they do where the song slows down and it kind of has that little bass line that dun 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 and then it kind of has that like Corey goes to clean, but like kind of eerie sounding singing. And it's like, you know, pull your hands away. I'm gone. That that song, dude, it hits me hard. I love that song. It's so good. Great question. I'm going to have to go with uh, first, first album first. Cause that's the first time I found out about them. I had the first album on my iPod shuffle, the original iPod shuffle Ooh. Um, back in the day. The one that looked like a stick of gum. Wait and Bleed is my uh, is the song that I found out about that, and I, I I'll say that that is one of my favorite albums, just due to the nature of it being in a late '90s uh, and jammed with that early 2000, late '90s new metal style sounding uh, that everybody did, and that's the era of music I really like with early Linkin Park and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite album, however, though, is this is going to be a curveball, and it is also going to be uh, one of the most unpopular albums for people, but all hope is gone. That is weird. Um, yeah, and it's just mainly because of that is more of a nostalgia of my high school stuff. I, uh, that oh. whole album came out during high school years for me. If, if I'm um, looking at nostalgia, yeah, there's a big nostalgia yeah. with All Hope Is Gone, and it was probably the height of my Slipknot like that because at that point I remember going into that album and it's like I was a Slipknot addict. It's like I knew everything. I knew I, you know, yeah. and it was really weird because well, it, you're a teenager and you get you know like you get really obsessed with stuff as a teenager. Uh, yeah. and you and it's kind of like Kingdom Hearts. I just knew everything about in high school. Well, that's it's like one of those things that drives mm-hmm. you to look at more and more and more, and you got to discover everything. Yeah, and, and it's like I need to know it. each one of their names and what guitar they're yeah. playing and what their haircut is, and it's like it's weird. It's I essentially the movies. man version of 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 little like, girls typically getting really hooked into pop stars. Yeah. You know, uh, my favorite song though, <laughs> however, my, uh, is not Wait and Bleed. That's my second favorite song. My favorite song is Before I Forget. No, oh, before I forget, it's a banger. <laughs> it is. That song is so but good. But that's not even on. Um, yeah, it's Volume uh, 3. Yeah, vo- I thought it was Volume 2. I mean, Volume 3 is the name of the album, but no, Iowa's is their second album. But w- before I forget, volume before I forget was the first time is that they started too? showing their faces. You remember the music video for it where they do like, you saw the, like Corey's cheek at the yeah. bottom of his, and you saw like Paul's hairline. It was really weird. Uh, but at the time, no one knew what they looked like still, really, you know? 
See, they do the weird thing that I, I don't really like it when artists do. Is this, it's a coheed way of naming things, or it's part one, part two. They just have parts in there. Even oh, no. Though... They've normally not done that. I know. I'm so, about volume three was there, and that was just kind of a tie-in. And then they had, of course, uh, you know, Vermilion part one and part two. But that was not a normal thing for them. Was it, was it, well, I'm saying, wasn't Vermilion part two the one with... Um... Vermilion part two is just a song. And it was like That's the acoustic right. counteract yeah. and like resolution to Vermilion part one, which is heavy and like drenched in atmosphere. Yeah. I love that song. Um, but Vermilion versus Volume, Volume, yeah, Volume is three, what I'm thinking of the subliminal verses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all hope is gone, though, dude. There's a part on there, dude. The, the song, and I know it, and it's gonna kill me that I can't think of the name right now. Um, and it's uh, what year did that come out? 2004. What are you talking about? Volume three? Yeah, yeah. Um, the song on on All Hope is Gone that Duality is so is also badass. Is the song that starts off with the "Thou shalt not kill your father," dude? That song is dope. I remember the first time. Uh, it's "Wherein Lies Continue." I didn't have to finish it. Uh, looking it up, of course. It's how it always goes. Um, I was gonna say that's but dude, not maggots, but that song "Pulse was- of the Maggots" is one you're talking about, I guess. But no, dude. Um, yeah. That song on "All Hope Is Gone" is killer. Oh, it's so good because it's just like I remember the first time it went on. There's a lot of songs on the album that are really good, but that was the first part of the song that I was like, "Oh, this is." This is dirty, and I love it. Uh, great question, and we got one great more question. by Mr. El Tabib. It's our last one. It says, when playing persistent online games, what makes you move to the next one? Is it the community that is forming around it? Is it the fresh gameplay? Is it the fame of the game? Or is it the future roadmap? Anything A healthy else? mixture of all of it. Mainly, 80% of that is going to be community slash people I play with. Mm-hmm. If nobody played Destiny, it'd be a lot harder for me to play Destiny every day. I'd still do it, but it would be a lot harder. The roadmap is super important. Knowing what we're getting in Shadowkeep is one reason that I still want to strive and play this game. Fame in the game makes sense because it more players online. Yep. And uh, um, the gameplay is, of course, as I said before, Destiny 2. The Destiny series has some of the best, if not the two best, definitive versions of what I like in a first-person shooter. The gameplay. Now, I knew that was going to be your answer. It's kind of like a, a mix of all of his. I'm yeah. a little different. Now, one that definitely does matter, I think, in any game that's like this, any game that is persistent that you're meant to play a lot, is al- always going to be easier to play when you have people that you know who play it. Yeah. Because it kind of makes playing it be a secondary way of hanging out with your friends. It's well, very that was, odd. That was just... hard for me with Anthem, too, because when you think about it, I would always plan to try to play Anthem when nobody else was online. I was just like, this is boring because nobody else is playing. Yeah, sure. See, now for me, gameplay uh, and, and interest in the story. And while I don't think that Destiny's bad at any of that, I actually think Destiny's getting better at all of that. I think Destiny obviously has good, fun gameplay. But, and this is going to be a weirdly unpopular opinion, I think at the very, very core, I'm not, I'm not even going to say that it's better. I prefer Anthem's gameplay at its very core. But the problem with that is that that gameplay is not reinforced with all the other things that are supposed to be happening in these types of games, which is loot that you want to get that drastically changes the way you play. If anything, I the difference between those two games, and I know I'm using those two as an example, but they're just really pertinent because I've played a lot of well, both Well, they're also, there's right? a, it's a really good I've played uh, 80 hours comparison. or more of Anthem, and that's... And, and Saul hasn't. So I just, you know, well, going saying, between just, that, uh, the uh, reasoning uh, is that Anthem for me called to me in different ways than see I, I like destiny i really enjoy it but saul loves destiny yeah and what's well what's interesting about that comparison too is you have 
a uh, games as a service that has been wildly successful through downtimes, and then you've had a games as a service that's been a wildly a failure, even though it had uptimes. Yeah. So it's a very, it's a very. But I also think it's a little. I guess you call it a duality. Going I, back to us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll push my fingers into my eyes, but. Um, <laughs> I'm sure that somebody's made that joke about Anthem somehow, some way. That makes me want to push my finger to my eyes. Um, but the thing about Anthem is, and I, I do think you're right at the moment, right? But the only thing about Anthem is I still think, and I, it shouldn't be this way. It, we should have a clearer idea of whether it's going to be around or for a while or not. But I still think it's too early to completely call Anthem out. I just feel like uh, it, it, it needs a. I mean, it's not even been six months, which is crazy to think, right? The roadmap is kind of scary. It is. It is. And there's no reason for a lot of people to believe it. But I still think that there is a way for them to turn it around because Destiny's year one was essentially nothing. If you really, really think yeah, about Destiny it. Destiny 2 years one was really well, I'm talking about Destiny 1 year one had a huge issue. Oh, I don't know. I'm just comparing it to year Destiny 2, which was yeah. still weak, but it was... It was greater than the fact that we actually got a raid pretty quickly. Yes. And, and I also bring it back to the thing where I get why you're kind of comparing the two. Because like I said, my my big hope for Anthem always, and it was a little bit of my optimism shining through, was that they were going to be smart enough to pay attention to other people, their contemporaries in this space. So like The Division and Destiny and Warfare and these things. And realize from those games what worked, what didn't work, and what to avoid. And we now know that they did not do that at all. And that no. sucks. But that is a good reason as to why you kind of do have to prepare or compare Destiny 2 to Dest- to Anthem. And why you even have to, to an extent, compare Destiny 2 to Destiny 1. Right. It's like they made the same mistakes over again. It is. And what's crazy is that they've made the completely. same mistakes, but with different solutions that yes. worked really well. <laughs> yes. It's crazy. But yeah. um, Josh Shoop, you got a question up next about Final Fantasy that we'll be answering as our very first Discord question in the next episode. So you guys be sure to stick around for that. We'd like to thank you all for joining us with episode 12 of Ruta Mail. We'll see you guys back for episode 13. And if not, we'll see you guys back for episode 117, the most uh, coincidental number for a PlayStation podcast ever created. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, thank you, guys. Thanks to our patrons, Chad V, Dan Barber, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green, my name is Dan, Douglas Below, Sean Santarude, Eric McAllister, Matt Sycamore, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Travis Below, Eduardo Palomino, Stefan Swanlin, Coy Live, Philip Laguerre, Corey Hickerson, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Thomas McKinnis, Brandon Edwards, and Sean One Neo. I finally got you on there, baby. If you would like to support us with as little as a dollar, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash nartech or by visiting the link in the description below. We appreciate you.